From APM, American Public Media, this is the American Radio Works podcast. I'm Stephen Smith. The cost of college keeps going up, but family earnings are staying the same. This is leading to an unsustainable situation both for colleges and would-be students. Now, after graduation, college-educated workers generally earn more than those without a degree. A research group called the Institute for College Access and Success reported that the average college student racks up nearly $28,000 in debt to get a BA. If you have to go into debt in order to get the education, is it worth it? My guest this week recently tackled this question at a meeting of the College Board, a group that helps prepare students for higher education. Chris Farrell is American Public Media's economics editor, and he joins me in the studio. Welcome, Chris. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Has college always been expensive relative to what people make? College has always been expensive because it's labor intensive. I mean, that's a jargon term for you have a professor and he's talking to students and efficiency is a lecture hall because you're talking to a lot of people. But a lot of colleges and universities have been built around the seminar, the, the individual teaching, the smaller class size. And so college has always been somewhat expensive. But here's the thing. College paid for itself fairly quickly. You got a college degree, you got yourself a decent job, it had health care benefits, uh, had a retirement plan, and it paid for itself fairly quickly. What's been happening is that college keeps getting more and more expensive. But the key, what really makes a difference here, Stephen, is that family incomes have not grown. So 1994, you take your non-elderly household, and elderly is 65 and older, so non-elderly household. The household income is about $57,000. 2012, the household income, $57,000. Wow. So meanwhile, from 1978 to 2012, the cost of college went up 1,120%. The cost of health care during the same period of time went up 600%. The consumer price index, up 200%. Now, I'm tossing out a lot of numbers here, but the bottom line is college keeps getting more expensive. And there's some good reasons why it gets more expensive as we become a wealthier society and the value of an education continues to grow. But family incomes are stagnant. They're not growing. And my point is, I do not see on the horizon any reason to believe that household incomes are going to grow. Okay. We'll get to that more in a moment, but let's talk about why college has become so much more expensive, you know, out of proportion to other things in the economy. There are a lot of different theories about it. What's yours? So my theory, to a large extent, is that college is not that expensive relative to the kind of labor. You know, if you compare colleges and universities to financial services, the jargon term is, you know, their productivity level is not that different. Now, if you compare it to Walmart or you compare it to a factory in the United States, I mean, factories do more with less. I mean, that has been the story the past, well, at least more than 30 years. But let's just say for the past 30 years with factories, that has been the story. In Walmart, it just squeezes out every inefficiency in that system. But with colleges and universities, there is something of a limit to how much you can squeeze out. You need this highly skilled labor. It takes a long time to get a PhD. It takes a long time to become a professor. And they have to stay up on the leading edge of their research. And it has a lot of information technology demands. So I think that's the fundamental core and I'm not that upset about the inefficiencies in college. I don't like what went on, this sort of arms race about, well, we all have to have these beautiful dorms and we all have to have a climbing wall. And, you know, there's a lot of legitimate questions about uh, these magnificent buildings that have been built over the past couple of years. But I actually think that's kind of declining. And has that really been the real driver here or has it mainly been labor and technology 
where the technology isn't actually making the labor more productive. Exactly. I think that is the, is the more important factor. You can toss in a lot of other stuff, but that's what I would emphasize. So is there a financial crisis happening on college campuses? There is absolutely a financial crisis. It's an erosion. It's not a crisis like um, in 2008 when the stock market crashed and it went down 57% before it had bottomed out in 2009 and the global capital markets froze up and we were talking about the Great Recession and people, the unemployment rate's over 10%. It's not that kind of crisis. This is an erosion that you have a business model where your costs keep going up, what you're charging keeps going up, and the gap is being filled with debt, with by borrowing. I mean, that's how families with their incomes are not growing. So what's now happening is that this side of the equation, the family income is stagnant. And I just don't see in this economy that we're in, even if the economy continues to improve, the unemployment rate comes down. When do you think that people are actually going to be taking home inflation-adjusted wage increases? So are there some people who just shouldn't go to college because it's out of their affordability zone? Well, I think you're seeing something of a shift already where people who might have gone to uh, a local four-year public university are first going to a community college. Now, they may transfer to a public university or a private university later on, but in order to lower the cost, they go to community college. Part of this big gap that we have between uh, the cost of going to college and what's happening to family incomes, enter, scene left, the MOOCs. The massively open online courses. Right. Now, I think part of what everyone likes about the MOOCs is that it's this wonderful acronym that you get to toss out there and say the MOOCs. But, you know, it's Harvard and it's Stanford and, you know, it's a lot of really big names. But that gap is what they're walking right into. And that's why they're not going to disappear. So we're going to go through a period, a painful period of experimentation because the MOOCs are not going to destroy the brick-and-mortar university. They're not. But the brick-and-mortar university, it is not business as usual. I gave a talk in Cheyenne, and it's before private independent colleges, mostly uh, in the admissions office and financial aid. And a number of them came up afterwards and said, you know, can I have your slides? Can I have your slides? I want to show them to my president. Because my president is saying, we have to raise our tuition. We have to raise our price by 2.5%. And I'm saying, you can't keep doing that. Look at what the families at are coming to our college and university. You can't do that. And so it's not the problem's not going to disappear. It's not a bunch of faculty members that are sitting around and they're not working and they're spouting Karl Marx and you know they're just unwilling to, you know, to work harder. That's not what's going on here. What's going on here is we have a business model that is based on family incomes increasing. And those family incomes are not increasing. So who's going to get left behind? I presume the people at the bottom end of the ladder in what ways will they get left behind and what will be the implications for the economy? Well, you know, this is really a story of the price of rising income inequality. And since 1980, income inequality has been increasing in this country. And more and more, the gains of our economy are not being shared. Those gains are going to a relatively small segment of people. I'll give you one example. If we had the same level of productivity growth and sharing of the economic wealth that we had from 1948 to 1973... If we had that till now, without making any changes in the law, the minimum wage would be $18 an hour. And the minimum wage is now? was nine, uh, 27 states that have raised the minimum wage, but it's about nine something right now. So it's far from $18 an hour. 
So I think this is the price of inequality. The people who are going to be left behind are minorities, low-income families. The gap is getting greater where you have very qualified, very qualified students from low-income families who are not going to college. And part of the reason why they're not going to college is these are not families that have traditionally borrowed. These are families that are afraid of borrowing. And even small sums of money are a strain on the family purse. So this is the great disgrace that's going on in our country right now is that the median income household and below is being badly squeezed. How do they decide? How do people in that sector decide how much debt to take on, what it's worth? Is is college worth it to those workers? And this is college is absolutely worth it to those workers. And one of the things that really troubles me about this whole conversation, and you've seen this, you know, the story starts out, this student graduates and they have $200,000 worth of debt or $100,000 worth of debt. And the thing is, if you look at the debt levels, at most it's 3% have over $100,000. It's a very small segment of the population, but you hear these horror stories and people are borrowing and they're not getting jobs. Now you're from a low income family. And you're thinking, well, if I borrow all this money, I'm going to have to borrow like $100,000 and I'm not going to get a job at the end of it. The reality is if you're a low income family, the fact is you're going to get grants. You're going to get grants from the federal government, say like Pell Grants. You're going to get grants from the state. And yes, you're going to borrow a little bit. And my message would be get that degree as fast as possible in order to start paying back your debt. But that degree will pay off for you and it will pay off for your children. In lifetime earnings. Lifetime earnings. So you want to get it fast and you don't want to be intimidated. And I think this is one of the, there's almost an indulgence going on right now about these horror stories with debt. And one of the side effects of that is discouraging a group of people who really do need to go to college, who would truly benefit from college, that they would have careers that will develop very differently by going to college than by not going to college. And the rule of thumb is that an individual student shouldn't accumulate more debt from college than what would be the typical salary in that profession in the first year out of college. That's right. That's a really good rule. Another rule is you don't want to be paying back more than 8% of the income that you're going to be earning when you graduate from college. Now, I'm very empathetic. What undergraduate really knows what they're going to be earning and what the job market's going to be like. But still, these are the kinds of uh, rules of thumb you want to have in mind. And uh, frankly, you want to take very seriously about community colleges. Uh, You want to take really seriously about just getting every grant that you can, every scholarship that you can, and you want to be incredibly aggressive about applying. Because here's the other side of the college and university crisis. They're starting to get hungry. They're getting really hungry for students. They need bodies. And so take advantage of their hunger. Because there's a demographic shift going on in this country. There are going to be fewer students in the future. Fewer students and fewer qualified students. So if you're from a low-income family and you're a student, apply. My guess is you're going to get in and you're going to get a lot of help. Final question. As you go around the country talking to groups of educators and professionals in the higher education sector, do you see much serious effort underway to try and rein in cost or try and somehow fix this business model, which you say is outdated? You know, I see a lot of very sincere efforts, you know, trying experiments with turning, instead of the four-year experience, you make it a three-year experience. And there's discussions about cutting back on certain departments. And there's a lot of meetings about what are we going to do. But the reality is, it's very difficult for successful institutions to change, even when they recognize that the world is changing on them. And the American College and University is one of the most successful institutions in the history of this country. 
in fact, in, in among global institutions in the past several hundred years. I mean, it's really a crown jewel of the American education system. The world is changing on them, and they recognize it, and there are experiments going on. But for big changes, that's going to take looking at bankruptcy, looking at we're really going to have to change our mission. We're really going to have to make these difficult choices, and some wealthy funder is not going to come in and bail us out. And part of what makes this discussion so difficult is that the Stanfords, the Harvards, uh, the Princetons, they don't got to worry about any of this. They just don't. Because they have enough name recognition and a big enough endowment, they're always going to be in the business. They're always going to have more people pounding on their door to get in. But then you go through the colleges and universities throughout this country, a lot of them are facing genuine financial trouble and know that the world is changing on them. They're trying, but it's unclear what is it they're going to do. Chris Farrell, thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Chris Farrell is APM's economics editor. You can find more podcasts about college affordability and a range of issues in K-12 and higher education at our website, AmericanRadioWorks.org. While you're there, browse the archive of more than 100 documentary projects and let us know what you think of our coverage. That's AmericanRadioWorks.org. We're on Facebook at American.RadioWorks and on Twitter at AMRadioWorks. Support for American Radio Works comes from Lumina Foundation, the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation, and the Spencer Foundation. I'm Stephen Smith. Thanks for listening. This is APM, American Public Media.